0: Hey, this is Welby Pierce. I'm the lead pastor of Hope Rising Church. I want to thank you for listening today. I hope it inspires you, hope it builds your faith, and hope it gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. I hope you enjoy the message. I people around and tell them, Come on, he's my living hope today. He's my living hope. He's my living hope. So good. So good today. Man, I hope you can feel the presence of the Lord in this place like we can today. He is here. Amen. 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 Hey, so good. Hey, I'm I'm Pastor Welby, um, lead pastor here. It's such an honor and privilege to get to to lead this awesome church, awesome people, and love what God is doing uh, in our church and in your lives. And man, I'm just believing for a great day. Anybody else believing for a great day today? Hey, listen, like, like we, we just don't show up to try to make this a bucket list item for the week. We, we, when we show up to church, we expect God to do something in us. I, don't, I just don't come just because it's, it's the thing to do. I come because I need Jesus to touch my life. And, and hopefully you are in that same uh, category today, expecting God to do something great. Well, hey, we have started this year off talking about, about health. And, and getting healthy. And we want you and me and us in every area of our lives, we want us to be healthy. And uh, I, wanna, I wanna challenge you today that, that you, would, you would give us a year of your life. Because I believe if you would give us a year of your life, I believe that when you look back a year from now, your life will be completely changed. Your life will be better. It'll be more blessed because you just didn't give us a year, but you gave Jesus a year of your life. I promise you, your life will be so much better. And so I just want to challenge you uh, that with, with that today. Also, uh, as we get ready to go into this next weekend, I want to remind all the ladies that have signed up, uh, we've got the Women's Radiant Conference coming up this next weekend. Uh, It's going to be a great time that the ladies will have in Austin, and so uh, I'm not sure if there's any space left. If there is, you can go ask my wife, and uh, after service, she'd love to talk to you about that, but. Uh, I know the ladies that have signed up are gonna have an, an incredible time. So uh, make plans for that, ladies. And then, uh, hey, last the last three weeks, let's talk about it, all right? We're in this series called New You, New Relationships. Can you say that with me? New you, new relationships. The first week we talked about uh, how, to, how we process negative scripts. We, we talk about how we've, re, how we've heard some things, experienced some things in our past and how it has affected our present and it's affecting our future. And uh, so we talked about how we wrestle with that in a positive light. Week two, we talked about uh, dealing with unmet expectations uh, with those that are our significant others, the, our spouses, our boyfriends, our girlfriends. What do, how do we live life Uh, And when we have these unmet expectations, how do we deal with that? And then last week we talked about strategic friendships. How many want a good friend, right? We talked about how how do we have strategic friendships and the friendships that God has placed in our life. I want to encourage you that if you've missed any of those, man, go to our podcast. You can go onto our website and check that out, myhoperising.co. And uh, we're on other platforms as well. Uh, But go check that out. We would love for you to listen to those. But Right now, uh, I want to share with you uh, as we close this series out about four types of relationships. I'd say four, four types of relationships. You know, in youth ministry, my wife and I uh, were, were youth pastors for fifteen years, and we always would tell teen- teenagers this: we'd tell them, "Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future." Have you ever heard that before? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Well, the the funny thing is, is that it's even true for adults. Show me your friends, then I'll show you your future. But let me add something to it. It says, show me who you're listening to, and I'll show you who you're becoming. Show me who you're listening to, and I'll show you who you are becoming. Did you know that studies, studies show that you are the average of your five closest friends? You're the average of your five closest friends. I know what some of you just thought, man, I need to get some new friends. <laughs> don't, don't jab your neighbor, just, you know. The truth is, is if you want to change who you are, then you have to change who you're with. If you, if you want to change who you are, then it's important to change who you are with, that, that you get to decide who you spend time with, not the other way around people shouldn't dictate or dominate your time or your decisions. No, you get to decide. You get to set those boundaries of who's, who gets your time. And so uh, you relate to people in four different ways. We said that. And if you're not careful, you'll end up treating people the same. You end up treating people the exact same way if you're not careful. I don't know about you, but I don't treat people the same. Like, if you think you should treat people the same, just ask, ask your spouse. You treat your spouse like everybody else. No. Yeah, definitely. Big no, right? You're not going to stay married very long. And so, so there our kids, right? Like, you know, I love your kids, but I love my kids more. Anybody else? Come on. Like, you know, and so uh, it's okay if if uh, if a kid at Chick-fil-A gets throat punched. It's cool. Like, but when it's my kid who gets throat punched, it's like, come on, it's on now. Like, let's go. You're like, who did that to you? A well, little five-year-old. Man, I will mess that five-year-old up. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't mess with my kids. And so, and so if you're not careful, we just, we end up just... Tr- thinking we're supposed to treat everybody the same, and, and the truth is, is that we're not. And what happens is, is we get scripture confused because we all go to this scripture right here, James two. James is, James is writing here, and he says, "My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism." We we go to that scripture, we, we go to that scripture, and say, "You know what? We're, we're not supposed to have favorites." We're just supposed to treat everybody the same. Anybody growing up in church, and you've heard that, you've heard that you've heard that scripture, you've heard it preached, and so but it just didn't make sense. You're like, whoa, what is going on here? I'm not supposed to have favorites, I'm supposed to treat everybody equally. Well, James was actually, he was not making a blanket statement here. He was actually talking, goes on to talk about how we treat people uh, that have money versus who do not have money. People we could say rich versus the poor and, and that, that we should have no favoritism with people who have money and those that do not. But we just take this one scripture and we're like, oh, we're not supposed to have favorites. And so uh, Jesus in, in, in Luke chapter eight, he, he begins to illustrate this and we begin to see this in his life that now Jesus' mother and brothers came to him or came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Somebody told him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. They didn't come inside, they were outside. And we jump to John and we begin to see a little bit more insight into this story. It says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Even his own family didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Even his own family didn't believe that he was the one that could make miracles happen. So we jump back to the story in Luke. And he replies, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Here's where we get it twisted, We, 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 we We fail to separate what our extended family is versus our nuclear family. That's why the scripture says to leave and to cleave, right? I mean, so when you are a kid, your, nu- your, your immediate family, right, that nuclear family is you, your mom, your dad, uh, brothers or sisters, and, and, and that's, your, that's that nuclear family. But when you get married and you move off and, and you have your own kids, that then becomes your nuclear family and mother, brother, uh, dad, sister, th- those become extended family, your sole responsibility becomes those within your own house, right? Amen. I mean, just treat your, your mom the same as your wife. How many, how many ladies are out there and say, I don't think so? <laughs> like, step back, Jack, Right? Because there's a difference, you know, it's cool to be a mama's boy, but once you move out, like, you can love your mama, but you better love your honey more. All right, I thought, wives, I thought I was going to help you out a little bit today, but the scripture says to leave and to cleave, right, To, to leave that, that what was the nuclear family and to go to now this new nuclear family that you have. We see this further in Matthew chapter 13. It says, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? These are stories. Jesus, you see, he he talked a lot and illustrated a lot by telling stories. And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. He's saying, hey, you've stuck around. You've hung around me a little bit more. And so there are secrets to the kingdom. There's things that I'm trying to to tell and to show that that you know that they do not. And so Jesus shows us there are some relationships that take precedent over others. And so four, four relationships, here we go. The first one is this, the casual relationship. The, cas- the casual relationship, these are kids at school, right? You remember growing up and, and you were, you were uh, in junior high or high school and, and this is just a casual relationship. It's kids in school or maybe you're in school now and just the kids at school, you, just, you, have, you have something uh, in common. They're, they're, you're on the same team, right? You're on the same baseball team or soccer team. You, you are on the same team. There's this casual familiarity, you're close because you have something in common, the same workout group. You live on the same street. And in a casual relationship, when the common bond goes away, the relationship tends to fade. Right? Like the, the best example is when you graduate high school. Remember when you graduated high school and you're like, oh, my BFS, I love you. I can't wait to hang out next week. It's going to be great. Man, we're going to do life together. Man, we can't wait for the 10-year reunion. Man, we're still going to be bros. And man, we're going to have just, just life's going to be great. And then the next week happens and the phone stops ringing and you're not hanging out with who you thought you're going to be hanging out with and, and you start college or you move away out to college and you stop texting some and, and you, you stop hanging out and Why? Because the relationship was really, it was a casual relationship. The the commonality that you had ended up fading away or going away. The second relationship is the consumer relationship. The consumer relationship. Someone who does a great job for you as a service, right? consumer. Maybe it's a restaurant that you frequent. We we go to a restaurant and frequent it quite often. Uh, and when I walk in, they know who we are. They know what my order is. I don't have to say anything. They already know because my order's got a little bit to it. I want a little bit extra this, extra that. Like they already know. Like by the time I get to the register, they already are putting it in because they already know who I am, right? This relationship is driven by experience. It's a symbiotic relationship. They provide good food to me. I provide money to them. And everybody is happy. Right? Like, like the food is good. They accept all kinds of payment. They're good. I'm good. Everybody's happy. But the relationship falls apart when one party stops providing what they used to provide. You stop providing good food, I will stop going to your restaurant. (laughs) The experience changes and maybe I stop. Or I stop paying so they stop providing good service, right? The relationship goes away. And so we find this in a consumer relationship. The third, the third relationship is this, is the career relationship. You also could, could call this the professional relationship. But this is, this is similar in nature as, as a consumer. But you work hard, and at the end of the week, you get a paycheck, right? At the end of the week or every two weeks, you work hard. You work your 40 or 50, and life is good, and the direct deposit hits, maybe even at midnight the night before. Come on, somebody. Like, life is good. We have this relationship. I, I work, I do what I'm supposed to do, and then the, the employer does what they're supposed to do, and they pay me for what I've done. There's a mutual benefit. In Colossians, it says this. I'm going to help you out as it, you, as it re- revolves around your work. It says, work willingly at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. I don't know about you, but sometimes that is a little bit tough. Like, have you ever been upset at your boss? Have you ever been upset at somebody at work? It says, working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong... You'll be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. When you're working, I want to encourage you. In fact, I want to challenge you that you may see a person as your boss, and maybe they are entitled, but treat it as you are working. What I am doing is unto the Lord. The, the, the job that I'm doing, the way I treat customers, the way I answer the phone, the, the job that I do in the field, I'm doing it unto the Lord. And as long as you're working for somebody, another human being, you will always see things you don't like. There's always going to be things that you can change. Change. There's always going to be something you're like, man, if I was the boss, I would do this. Anybody ever said that before? Oh, man, what are they doing? I can't believe they're making the decisions they're making. Man, that is the dumbest idea I've ever seen. Maybe you've said that before. I've said that before. But the truth is, as long as you are working for somebody, you're always going to have those thoughts sometimes. That's why we have to do it unto the Lord because they're a person and you're a person and we're not perfect and we're all doing this thing together, right? So in order to fix this, we start saying, Jesus, this is yours. And when we work like that, he starts taking over our career. When we start doing that, Jesus, this is yours. This is your job. I'm gonna do it unto you. I'm gonna do my best that I that I that I possibly can. This is your thing though. And we lay it down, right? We, the, the, this is your business. This is yours. And because it's yours, I ask you to do what only you can do. And so when we allow God to do some things like that, even in our work, even in our job, the boss comes in, is like, yo, you're up for promotion. You're like, what? I didn't even know I was up for promotion. There's somebody that just recently put in for a job, got declined the job, and a week later was brought in to a different supervisor and said, yo, we want to actually hire you for this job. He's like, the same one that you just declined me on like just a week or so ago? They're like, yeah, that one. Oh, and by the way, boom, here's some more money. Come on, like how many know that's Jesus? Like like you give it unto the Lord and you watch that happen. And so... This last relationship, this is the one I want to kind of spend a little bit more time on, uh, is the covenant relationship. Can you say that with me? The covenant relationship. Our best example of a covenant relationship is our relationship with Jesus. This is the best example um, that we can we can use. But before we get there, I want to go back to, to Genesis, back to the beginning of the Bible. Uh, In Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. This is before his name was changed to Abraham. The Lord made a covenant to Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. He said, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, like will be your descendants here. It says, he makes this covenant with Abram. And then 25 years later, he comes back in chapter 17. He says, When Abram was 99 years old, I don't know about you, but, but 25 years later, and I'm 99 years old, and he's just now coming back. I'm like, Yo, like you missed the boat, God. Like, I don't know. I don't know where you were 25 years ago when you said it, but, but here you are now. Okay, 99 years. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. You might have a walker at 99, but keep on walking. Let's go, baby. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be father of many nations and no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you." If you go and read the entire conversation in Genesis chapter 17, you will go and you will realize and see that the word covenant is used 14 times. Uh, 14 times in this conversation, you see God using the word, this is a covenant between you and and, I. and when we read the Bible, numbers are very significant. Numbers are important in the Bible. There's one true God, There, the Trinity, there's three in one. And, and, and numbers just begin to signify and really be important. And as we uh, read the Bible, seven, the number seven in the Bible represents completion. It, it represents that nothing is missing. It's all there. And so when we read Genesis chapter 17, we don't see the word covenant seven times. We, we read and see the word covenant 14 times, which I believe God is saying, hey, it's really all there. It, it, this is more than enough. It, it's complete. I have taken care of everything that you possibly could ever need in this covenant. Everything that you could possibly need, it's all ready there. I mean, that's good news. That's already there. He's more than enough. He's a God of more than enough. And so when we go to the New Testament and Jesus begins to arrive on the scene in Matthew chapter one, the very first verse, verse, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, we talked about last week, but also the son of who? Of Abraham. So you have the Son of God, and you have the Son of Man, the Son of David, and the Son of Abraham, and when you read all of those lists of names, do you ever skip over the names? Come on, don't lie. We all do, right? We're like, cool, 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 all right, okay, boom, all right, here's something else, okay, something I can understand. We can't even pronounce half the names anyways, and so, but they do, mean, they do mean a lot, but we're going to skip those for today and go to jump to verse 17. It says, thus... Get this, there were how many generations? (laughs) 14. In all from Abraham to David. There was 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. And then there was 14 from the exile to the Messiah. 14. God is saying, look, this family that I used to bring Jesus into the world It's marked by my covenants that that even though they're imperfect men, David, he was imperfect. We talked about him last week, right? David had made some major mistakes, had broken like half the Ten Commandments and just like a failed swoop. Just one instance, boom, half of them are gone. Abraham, he was told that the covenant would come through him and his wife, Sarah, but we didn't read it, but he goes and he sleeps with his mate servant, Hagar. And that's where Ishmael comes in. Not even the promised child. Isaac comes later. He says, look, we know that the line of these people, that that it's been messed up. It's gotten a little bit messy, but my hand has been on generation after generation after generation. My hand is with him and he's with you. And I am a God of more than enough. What do we have? We have covenants with the Lord. Did these guys mess up? Sure. Maybe the better question is, who didn't mess up? I mean, who in this room hasn't messed up, right? We all have been there. We've all messed up. But God was saying that my covenant has always been intact. His word says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Even though they didn't always do right, I was always there. And aren't you glad that God is always there? Uh, Aren't you glad today that even when you or I don't do right, God is always right there? You see, a covenant relationship is a relationship that stands the test of time. A covenant relationship is a relationship that stands the test of time. It's not like a casual relationship that maybe you're on the same team or at the same school or in the same class. It's it's not a consumer or a career type of relationship. So the question to be asked is, what's the bond in a covenant relationship? I'm so glad you asked. Ephesians 5 says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And what we see is that this covenant applies to church and it applies to marriage. And that the engine that drives this covenant relationship, this engine that makes this relationship go, that makes it so important, is the shedding of blood. In fact, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. That without the shedding of blood that you and I couldn't experience this thing we call forgiveness. If you look in the Old Testament, each time they had to be forgiven of sins, they would they would bring an animal. They would bring this pure and spotless animal. A lot of times, a lamb, or, and they would they would put it. They would take their best one, and they would put it on the altar. They'd call it an altar of sacrifice. And the way that the people's sins would be forgiven would be that this animal, there would be a shedding of blood and that that blood that would be shed on the altar would be used to atone or represent the atonement of their sins. But it was always meant to be a substitute. It was always meant to be a substitute for the covenant relationship. Relationship that it was it was okay for the moment but but god always had a plan that that jesus would would come that jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice that he would be the ultimate blood covenant that in the new testament as you see jesus come on the scene the problem was is that god didn't have god didn't have a body god didn't God exists in spirit form. And so in order for this to be a final atonement, in order for this to be something that would last forever, he had to use Jesus, God the Son, and put him in bodily form so that as he lives a pure, a spotless life, a sin-free life, when he dies there would be shedding of blood and as the blood flowed there would be forgiveness for you and for me We see it in a marriage when a husband and wife coming together for the first time Or maybe we see this we see this as we have kids I don't know about you, I've had two kids and and each time there is blood that is associated when when the child is being born. And what we have is a covenant relationship. Why? Because where there is blood that is being shed or spilled, there is covenant happening in that moment. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus is talking about laying down your life. Or in a manner of speaking, shedding of blood. And truthfully, the issue is not as much as dying for Christ as it really is living for Christ. I mean, let's face it. Sometimes it's hard to live for Jesus. We live in a world that it's not very easy. The world doesn't make it easy or easier for us to follow Jesus at times. You face challenges every day that, that you have to choose, am I going to honor the Lord or am I going to walk in the way of my sinful flesh? Every day, we all do. And so Jesus is talking about laying down your life and the, I think really the issue is it's not dying for Christ, it's living for him. Because if you can live for Christ, then you'll really have no problem dying for Christ. Like if you can live for Jesus, you'll have no problem dying for Jesus. But once you experience the goodness and the grace and the mercy that, that he comes and that he offers, it, there's no problem saying, you know what, I will give you everything. When you, when you experience the, the love and the comfort that he brings in times of brokenness and hurt and shame and pain, you mean you died for me even though you shed your blood for me even though you knew I would do this that I would turn my back in this moment that instead of running to you I would run from you you, you knew that and in advance you would go ahead I would already be a thought on your heart in your mind and you would die for me anyways when you experience that and we have no problem living for Him, by all means, we'll have no problem dying for Him. And this doesn't really mean, I don't think this scripture really means that we would die to Him physically. Although in other countries, they are having to decide whether to proclaim the name of Jesus or not. And are being beheaded because of their faith. And it's Kush here in, in America. The persecution that you may feel in America is nowhere close to what it is in other countries. But I think this, this scripture really boiled down to it's really talking about laying down our ambitions, our own desires, our own opportunities, our own agenda our own thoughts, our own plans. Would you lay lay those things down for Jesus? Because laying it all down is the key to it all. Laying it all down is the key to it all. We see the rich young ruler in the New Testament where He says, what do I have to do? I'm a good person, Jesus. Jesus says, give all that you have. He was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can give all that I have. And I think that's the question that we're presented with today is, have you given Jesus Everything. See, I actually don't think Jesus desires or, or he doesn't need you to give everything. He just wants to know, are you willing to give everything? If he did ask you, would you be able to say yes? And I think that's sometimes a hard question to ask. I want you to give everything. I'll give you my heart, but I won't give you this or I won't give you that. will you lay it down? Some of the dreams and the passions and the, the, the your, your plans that you have. Would you lay them down? And say, Jesus, I lay this down at your feet and, and you can do with this whatever you plan to do with it. Use me, but do what you got to do. Because when we actually let go of control I don't know if you're a control freak but when you let go of control what you do is you release you release the very thing that you're trying to control and dictate and then God says finally finally I can take I can take what you lay down I can take what you've released and now I can do something with it So as we close this series out, new you, new relationships, maybe it's a relationship you need to lay down at the feet of the cross. Maybe, maybe it is ambition. Maybe, maybe it is career goals. And maybe, maybe it is something you have been longing for and planning for. The question is, would you just be willing to let go? die to yourself so that he can live and do what only he can do. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for us today that that we would be willing to lay it down. That we would be willing to lay down everything that's on the inside of us. Lord, we give it all to you. Maybe you're in here today and you just need to say, God, I give it all to you. I lay it down. God, we lay it down so that you can do what only you can do and that you can continue to use us and that you can continue to order our steps and you can continue to bless and you can continue to do great things through us so God we lay it down we give it to you we give you relationships we give you plans we give you goals we give you our dreams not our will but your will Jesus not our desires but your desires we give it to you today you know the best relationship you could ever have is one with Jesus this covenant relationship that he made with you and with me that as he shed his blood on the cross, as he died for us, our sins, the Bible says, would be forgiven that we would be made white as snow, that he would take our sins and and remove them and they'd be as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. Yeah, he died, he died for you. He died for what you did yesterday. He died for what you did last week. He died for what you're going to do today. And he died for what you're going to do tomorrow. He already knew and he died anyways. Thank you for joining us on the Hope Rising podcast. Visit us online at myhoperising.co. Thanks again for listening. Have a wonderful week.